Well, Happy New Year. Thanks so much for joining us once again online. It's so great to be with you in this way as we continue our series, Come and See, walking through the Gospel of John and discovering the beauty and the majesty of God in the person of Jesus. So we've come a long way um, and we're at this point where we just need to take a little pause uh, to kind of catch up to where we are. We've been discovering uh, Jesus, as John has been giving us these vignettes uh, through the, these signs, these miracles that he's done. Um, and, and then we've been moving through uh, this kind of cycle of Jesus um, doing and saying something amazing, feeding people, uh, healing people, uh, and, and all of these crazy things. And then the religious people, like the religious leaders of his day, getting in these fights with Jesus over and over again. This is the third time we're about to do this again today. And each time we learn something new about Jesus that, that really blows our minds and shows us uh, the hope that we can have in God. But what, what happens in chapter 8, um, and if you have a, like a paper Bible, you may have this. My Bible has a little note here. In 8, what we see is there's, there's a note about manuscripts uh, because we come to this very familiar story, this very beautiful, powerful story that I believe is totally inspired by God about um, this woman who's caught in adultery and the leaders bring her to Jesus and he, instead of accusing her and condemning her, he forgives her and uh, he calls out like these religious leaders for their ridiculous uh, hypocrisy. It's a, this brutal story that makes us like do a gut check, uh, especially those of us who, you know, we consider ourselves religious people. But, but what you see maybe in your note, if you've got a Bible, is that um, this story is not, it's not clear where this actually belongs in John's gospel or if it maybe even belongs like in Luke's gospel. Uh, so what we see is it kind of interrupts the, um, the narrative arc that John is taking us on. Uh, again, inspired, trustworthy uh, story, powerful story, um, but not a part of this kind of narrative uh, path that John has us on. So what we're going to do today is we're going to um, uh, bypass for now this story of the woman caught in adultery, uh, John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, and uh, hopefully come back to this at a later time because it's, again, just super powerful. But we're going to continue on kind of the journey that John has us on uh, in this cycle of like doing something amazing, getting in a fight with the religious leaders. Um, and again, I think for the, my third message in a row, I get to preach on the fight. <laughs> so I don't know what the deal is with that. Um, Mark, I'll thank you and David uh, for that. But um, so here we go. Are you ready? Uh, Jesus is about to have a fight uh, and we're going we're gonna to be a fly on the wall. So to set this up, um, uh, I think it's really helpful to understand what Jesus is trying to do. So a helpful question as I was studying for this, uh, I'm going to ask you this question right now is, is this, how do you describe yellow to someone born blind? How would you describe a color, any color? Yellow, for, for instance, uh, to someone who's born blind. This is actually an interview question by the company um, Spirit Airlines uh, when they are interviewing like uh, management 
candidates because they want to see how they can think on their feet and be creative uh, with their vocabulary. So it's a really challenging question. How would you describe it? Uh, some of their um, candidates would say things like, yellow is a warm sun, with, like while a cool breeze blows on your face. Yellow is exciting without being loud or angry. Uh, some described it as a warm, soft color, like a baby chick. You held a baby chick <laughs> in your hand? See, uh, and maybe, maybe you are someone who is visually impaired or you love someone who is visually impaired. And these, these are like normal conversations for you. How do I translate my experience in a way that you can understand when you have no point of reference for us? But for us, like us sighted people who can just see, you know, kind of normally, whatever that means, uh, it makes us stop and think because it makes, it forces us to think about how we would describe our reality to someone who, who you know, is living in the dark. And this frames, I think, in a helpful way, what Jesus is doing is he's teaching us to see all of reality in a new light. And I just, I just find this so compelling about Jesus that he's, he's taking the time with these religious elite people um, because he loves them to try to get them to understand what is just beyond their scope when they're spiritually living in the dark. So he's at the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, if you haven't been with us the last few weeks, I'll just kind of describe what this is. It's a seven-day feast that the Israelites would celebrate every year. They would go to the temple uh, and, and it was a feast. It was a party. It was remembering and celebrating God's provision and protection and his presence with his people, the Israelites, way back when they were traveling through the wilderness after they were freed from slavery in Egypt um, to where uh, they would be entering the promised land. And we read about it in the book of Exodus. Uh, we read about how God did this. And in Exodus 13, 21, we, we read something really mind-blowing. It, it says, By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. And just picture that for a second. What is, what is that? A pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire. I mean, it's no wonder that they were celebrating this for hundreds, thousands of years because this would have made just such an impression on a people. I mean, just imagine it in the middle of the darkness. Here's God's glorious presence, like a flame in the night, warming us, guiding us, protecting us. It's the, the place not just where there's light, like in a physical way that helps us see so we don't stumble in the dark, but even more than that, you, you're understanding that this is where heaven is overlapping with earth. This is the literal manifestation of God's glory. It's a portal to heaven. So that's what they're celebrating. And Jesus is at the temple with these people uh, and, and part of the way they would celebrate is they would light these 16 giant basins filled with oil. Um, and they would use, this is gross, but really funny. They would use um, old underwear from the priests. They would like wrap it up, 
soak it in the oil and use that as wicks. So there you go, homemade candles. Anyway, um, <laughs> so there will be 16 of these basins uh, up on these like 20 foot tall light stands and they would light them. So this, this is a big deal. Think about like a world with no electricity, no street lamps, no lights to turn on. This light was something to marvel at. So they would light these lamps as part of the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, we read that men would grab torches and they would sing and they would dance because they could see at night. How crazy is that? And they would do this in the very court where Jesus was. So he's sitting there in the court, all of Jerusalem lit up by these, these giant light stands, this, these burning fires reminding them of God's uh, glory cloud uh, among them. And he said in uh, John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, um, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is saying, remember that glory cloud in the wilderness. That's me. I am the glory cloud. I am God among you. I am God protecting you and guiding you and, and, and like comforting you with my light. This is Jesus translating heaven in a way that we can understand, right? And he says, whoever follows me is going to experience the dawn of heaven right in the middle of your darkness. Of course, the Pharisees, these religious elite people, they don't, they don't want to um, accept that Jesus has perspective and sees things that they don't see. So they challenge him. And this is where we get into the argument. So we're going to walk through this. I'm going to do my best to uh, kind of describe what we're reading. And then we're going to talk about what this means for us as we learn to see all of reality in a new light. So verse 13, the Pharisees challenge him. They say, here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Like Jesus, come on, you can't just walk around like you know everything that we don't. But Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, on my own behalf, I just said that like a pirate, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. Like we're operating on two different planes here. In verse 15, Jesus says, you judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. So Jesus is saying to these religious leaders, you're challenging me. You're making decisions and judgments about me based on criteria that are just off. Like you're, you're using human criteria to measure divine reality. It's not working. Verse 17, in your own law, it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You keep talking about this father. Where is he? You do not know me or my father. These are the scariest words Jesus could ever say to someone. You do not know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. You know, Jesus is looking right at the face of these elite, religious, passionate 
learned, spiritual, prayerful people. And he's saying the scariest thing they could ever hear, saying, you do not know God. I'd like to think that if I saw Jesus, I would recognize God. But I don't know. I don't know. And that's one of the scary things about being very religious. Sometimes we think we're in the light, but we're really in the dark. More on that in a little bit. So Jesus once more said to them in verse 21, I'm going away and you will look for me. And you will die in your sin. Where you go, I'm sorry, where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is, is that why he says where you go, where I go, you cannot come? Will he kill himself? Like they're thinking, is Jesus suicidal? See, just imagine he's in this temple court, the, the lamps are burning, and he's in this argument, in this tension with these religious leaders who think they know who he is. But he's saying, you don't know who I am. And there's a burden on him. There's a weight on him. And it's so vexing that they think he's suicidal. But he's not suicidal. See, because he knows that in less than a year from this conversation, they're going to be crucifying him on a cross. He wasn't suicidal. He was sacrificial. He was sacrificial because he wants them not to die in their darkness, but to live in the light. But the, the problem is that they weren't willing to see reality in the new light that he was bringing. So he continues in verse 23. You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. So if you're a first century Jewish person who has been steeped in the Hebrew Bible, I am he is sending off like red flags. It's, it's code. Jesus is uh, quoting from Isaiah chapter 43 and uh, 41 and a few other places in scripture. I am he always refers to uh, God talking about how he is the provider and the protector and the forgiver of his covenant people. Jesus is saying, you have to come to terms with me that I am that God. I am the one who is trying to save you. But they, they just get even more enraged. You can almost imagine them looking around for stones to, to pick up and throw at him because of his blasphemy. And they ask in verse 25, this question I think they ask it with just rage and anger they say who are you and Jesus says uh, just what I've been telling you from the beginning I, I have much to say in judgment of you but he who sent me is trustworthy and what I have heard from him I tell the world and they did not understand that he was telling them about his father do you ever just want to like ask Jesus like who are you who are you really it seems like you know we just don't get any straight answers from Jesus. He always answers that question in like an abstract way. And, and the, the reason is because he's trying to describe realities that we don't have reference to, right? So they're like, who are you, Jesus, really? Just tell us, tell us what category we should put you in. And he says, I, that doesn't make any sense because I'm bigger than your categories. 
I'm, I'm bigger than your vocabulary. So I've been telling you from the beginning. I've been telling you through the miracles I've been providing. I've been telling you through the things that I've been saying about myself, like things like I am the bread of life. Things like I am the light of the world. From the beginning, I've been trying to get you to understand that I'm bigger than your categories, but they weren't getting it. So Jesus said in verse 28, here's when you get it. Here's when you're gonna see who I really am. It's when you have lifted up the son of man. Then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just as the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do what pleases him. And there's something about what he just said that incites belief in a bunch of the people that were listening to him in the light of those, uh, those lampstands. In verse 30, it says, even as he spoke, many believed in him. See, Jesus is saying, you'll get it when you see me lifted up. When you see me lifted up on the cross, that's when you're gonna realize something important something about the trustworthiness of God. You're dying in the dark, but if you follow me, you will live. And following me starts not, with, uh, not just with obeying my teaching, not with just a following my example. Following me starts by encountering the reality of God, which is seeing God lifted up in the person of Jesus on the cross. So what Jesus wants them to know and what he wants us to know is that following him starts with seeing how he is willing to die in the dark so that we could live in the light. How he's not suicidal, he's sacrificial. Encountering the trustworthiness of God in the sacrifice of Jesus. So Jesus is the light of the world. And what does, this, what does this mean for us right now? And what does this mean for us here? Well, it means a lot of things. In light, in scripture, um, it, the word light com- comes up about 200 times in the Old Testament. I don't know how many times in the New Testament. It's a major theme. And we could chase this down for days and days. But I just want to talk about a few things. A few things that, that happen when we start to follow Jesus, he helps us to see reality in a whole new light. So I've been thinking a lot about light. I've been reading about light. And here's something really, really interesting. The light that we see, um, you, know, you know what light is, right? It's like electromagnetic waves, something like that, and particles. I'm not a, I'm not a light scientist. Does that exist? I don't know. But it, it's, the, our visible light exists on a spectrum, so electromagnetic waves cover a huge spectrum from X-rays to gamma rays to, um, to radio waves uh, and, and beyond, microwaves. Uh, but we only see a small sliver of a fraction of that. In fact, uh, researchers at the, the nuclear, um, I forget what it is, but some smart people have said, you can Google this and look it up, that uh, what we see is 0.0035% of all of the light that actually exists, right? So think about that. Every sunset, uh, every starlit sky, every beautiful vista, 
that you've ever seen is just a fraction, a thumbnail of, of what there is to behold and to see. We just don't have the eyes to see it. If we could, if, like if we could see x-rays and gamma rays and all those things, everything would look so different. We could see through walls, you know, Christmas would not have been very fun because you would see right through the, the wrapping uh, and those things under the tree and there'd be no surprise. If we could see gamma rays, we could literally see age. Like we could see the, the age of the stars. Uh, I, I could go on, I'm not going to, but you get the idea is that basically we're all blind. We're all pretty much blind. We're all in the dark when you think about all that there is to see and what we can actually see. And spiritually speaking, there is a whole reality that God sees that we don't see. And part of learning to trust in him is learning to see everything in a new light. Psalm 139 verse 12 puts it this way. Even in uh, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day for darkness is as light to you. So following Jesus, it's learning to see everything in an, a whole new light. Ourselves, God, and others. So first ourselves, it's learning to see our darkness in a whole new light. When I um, was in high school, I had a, a terrifying experience in the dark. Um, so I went backpacking by myself uh, in South Dakota. And um, the last night of backpacking, I was in a very rustic spot about four miles from any kind of source of fresh water. I ran out of water. But it was my last night and I was like, ah, I should probably be okay. So I didn't make the trip to go get water. It was getting dark. It was a big mistake because in the middle of the night, I woke up and I was like thirsty, thirsty. You know that feeling when you're like thirsty, thirsty? And I had no choice. I had to get water. I've been hiking all day. Um, and so <laughs> it was the middle of the night, no stars, no cloud, like cloud-covered skies, no moon. And all I had was my flashlight and I had to walk four miles through rivers, uh, over hills, through the woods with animal noises all around me and roots tripping me up to get to this horse camp four miles away in the dark. It was so scary, you guys. And it was this, this experience of like, this is what darkness is. And so there's, there's darkness that's out there that we have experienced. And you know, we're celebrating the new year and a lot of us are like, 2021 is my year. Some of us are afraid to even say that because 2020 was a dark year, you know? Uh, I've gotten to pray with and talk with so many people who have experienced so much darkness from the world, job loss and death and fear and sadness and, and division and anger and social media and so much darkness. And part of following Jesus is learning to see everything, including our external darkness in a whole new light. Psalm 119, 105 puts it this way, saying, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. Light on the dark path, sometimes that, that is our life. There's, so there's darkness out there, and, but there's also darkness in here. And, and what this, this is about is that the things that I would rather keep in the dark, that I would rather keep hidden from others and from God, 
And we get used to this kind of darkness, and most of us get pretty comfortable with it. Uh, in our bedroom, um, we have two lamps on the walls, and um, you know, after a, a night of sleep when it's been dark, um, I've learned to just never ever turn the lamp on because I love my wife <laughs> and I want to stay married to her. So, uh, you know, there's something about turning on a light after you've been in the dark for a long time that kind of stings. You know, it's, it's, it interrupts our darkness because, let's be honest, we like our darkness when we're used to it. And, and when there are things that we would rather keep hidden from God, you know, internal um, selfishness and pride and lust and anger and those things that we just would rather people not see so we could carry on on our own, the light of God is, it interrupts us. Uh, John puts it this way in John chapter three. We've covered this. It says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. They didn't want, you know, we, we don't want people to see the evil that we, um, we create in our own internal darkness. So as we think about learning to see our darkness in the light of Christ, I just want to ask, where, where is your world dark right now? Is it darkness out there from circumstances and from health or finances or relationships? Is it in here? Things that you would rather keep hidden you know, what would it look like to invite the light of God to shine on our darkness, to bring his peace and comfort and truth and forgiveness into that space? So, you know, seeing with new light is, is learning to see our darkness with new light. It's, it's also learning to see God in a new light. See, Jesus said in verse 26, I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. What an interesting way to describe God. I mean, think about what's trustworthy in your life. What's something that you can rely on and trust in every time? Um, I, I have a car that, um, it was actually my wife's car before we were married. We've been married for 15 years. Um, it's a 2003 Ford Focus. That guy is just trustworthy. But I call it the clatter trap because it's just like so loud and it's really annoying. It's like rusty, ugly, you know. Uh, it was like this green color that I guess was popular around 2003. Um, and it's just loud. You know, my kids are like covering their ears when I start the car. It sounds like a lawnmower. But it just keeps on starting. It, it just, I can just rely on it. And I love it. I love not ever having to think about, you know, car payments and things like that. But the thing about trustworthy things is that we take them for granted. And when, when Jesus says God is trustworthy, those of us who follow Jesus, those of us who love the Lord have to be aware that it's possible that we're not living in, in the full awe and wonder and worship and gratitude for who God is. Uh, God is described for the first time personally in Exodus chapter 34, six through seven. He's passing in front of Moses. He just gave the Ten Commandments and the Israelites had just erected a golden calf in the desert and worshiped that instead of God. And it's in the midst of that moment that God says to Moses, uh, he introduces himself and says, I am the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, 
the compassionate and gracious God. I'm slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And God's trustworthiness is revealed most fully and most powerfully in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. What would it look like for you just to begin this year reflecting in a new way on the trustworthy love of God to see him in a new light? So following Jesus causes us to see ourselves in our darkness in a new light, causes us to see God in new light. But once we do those two things, it allows us to see others in a new light. And this is so important, especially for people who are very, very religious, people like me. Verse 15, God's, or Jesus is talking to these Pharisees and he's saying, you judge by human standards. You draw these lines, these boundary lines uh, for people based on what boxes they check and what boxes they don't. You know, how did you vote? Uh, what do you believe on this thing? What kind of church do you go to? Etc. Etc. But Jesus says, I pass judgment on no one. In other words, you are condemning people and writing people off. I'm not, con- I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. See, the tendency for passionate, learned, religious people is to draw these lines to say, we're in, you're out. But I am just taken back by Jesus's patience and his love for these religious hypocrites. That's good news if you're a Christian. It's great news if you've been following Jesus for a long time and sometimes your own religiosity trips you up. It trips me up. Jesus is patient. He's loving. He's forgiving. He doesn't want us to die in our darkness. He wants us to live in a whole new light. And part of following Jesus is learning to see others the way that he sees them in in just a whole new light. So so let's just close with this um, beautiful passage from Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Okay. Paul, Paul writes, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, uh, once again, we're, we're taken back by the way you see the world, by the way you see us, by the way you invite us into a whole new uh, way of living in the midst of uh, a world where darkness is still everywhere. Jesus, thank you for the hope that you bring us. Thank you for the truth. Thank you that, that with you, that we have guidance, that we have protection, that we have your presence with us. I pray for my friends that they would discover anew in these first days of this new year, they would discover your light in their lives so that we could be lights in the darkness. We pray these things, Jesus, in your powerful and majestic name. Amen.